Welcome to the CBT Podcast. On September 17th, we recorded a video dialogue with Hadia Green Guerrero, Maya Shackleford, Cheryl Ford-Smith, Sonia Seymour, Kevin Hudson, and Maria Benedetto on the topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion and pipeline programs. Here's that discussion. Good evening. Today we have a stacked panel amongst us to discuss pipelines for the physical therapy profession. In the United States, we know pipelines can be quite effective, one of the most impacting on Black and Brown citizens being American Pipeline in prison. With these discussions in DEI, we've discussed representation and how representation matters, which is the emphasis for the various pipelines we will converse about today. One in 17 whites as compared to one in three Black males will go to prison or jail. In other words, Black males make up about 6% of the United States population and over 40% of the jail and prison population, despite similar rates of infractions or crime. One of the questions I hope to get to with our guests this evening is how do we shift the pipeline of death and despair to opportunity, education, and a productive life as a citizen? How do we make something like a pipeline of physical therapy that typically takes four years of college and three years of grad school a foreseeable lucrative future for students like Tyler Logan, who is currently going viral on Twitter upon posting a picture of himself graduating on 9-11-2020 with the caption including Doctor of Physical Therapy. He was the only Black student in his class at University of Maryland's Eastern Shore in renowned and predominantly Black Prince George's County. Without further ado, let's hear from our illustrious panels, doctors and physical therapists, Cheryl Ford-Smith and Maria Benedetto, and career pipeline extraordinaires, Maya Shackelford, also APTA staff, Kevin Hudson, and Sonia Seymour about their successes and learned experiences with pipelines and how we move forward triumphantly with pipelines into the physical therapy profession. We'll start with you, Maya. Maya joined APTA in April of 2019 as a program manager for PTA CAS and the Student Pipeline Initiatives. Maya, would you take some time to share your personal relationship to pipelines and some of your professional and then we'll go into your presentation. Thanks, Adia. Yes, I'm happy to do that. I'm so happy to be here today. So my name is Maya Shackleford, and uh, currently I'm the program manager for Student Pipeline Initiatives here with the American Physical Therapy Association. Um, prior to joining APTA, I was the assistant director of admissions for the Duke DPT program, where I was able to create and be a co-creator for various pipeline programs and volunteer programs focused on raising the awareness of physical therapy and increasing the diversity um, within the profession. I am also a direct product of pipeline programming, so I know firsthand how much of a difference um, they can make. I am passionate about the creation of programming that helps to bridge the gap between undergraduate careers and graduate careers. So I'm definitely excited today to be here and to um, share some knowledge as well as to to learn um, as much as I can from from our great panelists. So um, I guess I can go ahead and get started here into, uh, into the presentation. So 
Today, um, my main role here today, or not my main role, but one of my roles here today is to give you a little bit more information um, about some of the applicants' data trends, as well as about some of the work that APTA is currently doing within the realm um, of pipeline programming. So, um, Hadia, if you, Hadia, if you can um, pull up the slides, that would be great. Um, but today, when it comes to pipeline programming, we're mainly focusing on um, K through 16 pipeline, which includes um, kindergarten through the undergraduate senior career. Um, at the core of strong pipeline programs, there are three basic needs um, that clearly need to be expressed. Um, and those are goals, actionable items, as well as outcomes or measures of impact or success. So directly from the APTA strategic plan, there is a goal to make the APTA or to make APTA an inclusive organization that reflects the diversity of the society that, that the profession serves. So um, from a student recruitment perspective, we aim to increase the diversity of the applicant pool as well as the diversity of accepted applicants. So let me say that we recognize that there are many different measures of diversity um, and we track many uh, measures of diversity, but today we're mainly focusing on racial and ethnic diversity. So from that perspective, um, our measures of success are upward trends in application or applicant numbers, as well as the racial and ethnic diversity of applicants and accepted applicants. So um, hopefully here in a minute, we'll get the slides up and uh, we'll- Are we'll you get still not seeing the slides? I'm so sorry. No, I don't slides. So um, look at let's give Jabron an opportunity to see if you can switch screens for us. I've been flipping screens, didn't realize you didn't have it. <laughs> no worries, no worries. So um there they go. Perfect. Okay. So and um I believe that's the right the first slide. Yes. So the first graph there. So so let's talk about some of the applicant data. And this data comes directly from um, PTCAS, which is um, our centralized application service for um, doctor physical therapy programs. Soon we hope to have the same level of data for um, PTA programs. Uh, we recently launched uh, PTA CAS this week. So the goal is that hopefully within a year, um, year or two, we'll be able to have the similar data. But for today, we're focusing on DPT programs. So um, this graph shows the racial and ethnic data of all applicants between 2015 and 2019. And as you can see, there's a steady increase in applicant numbers in most racial and ethnic groups or either a steady maintenance of numbers. So Hadia, can you go to the next slide? So this slide specifically focuses on um, minority applicants. Um, the same time frame, 2015 through 2019. And as you can see, there is a steady increase um, in most racial and ethnic groups or steady maintenance. Um, it's a slight increase, but it is an increase. Um, and Hadia, can you go to the next slide? So with the next couple of graphs here, we're gonna show racial and ethnic data of accepted applicants between that same time frame. So, um, so this particular graph shows a look at all racial and ethnic groups um, all racial and ethnic groups of accepted applicants. Um, and there are similar trends within that data. And one more slide, Hadia. And this upcoming slide will show the, um, the same data, but specifically for minority applicants. So um, in general, what we were able to see 
what the data provided was that there was an overall year-to-year increase in the number of applicants in each racial and ethnic group. However, the number of applicants except the number of applicants and accepted applicants um, are not yet representative of most racial and ethnic groups in America, which is what our goal is, right? We want to be representative of the society that physical therapists serve. So um, there's also um, a disparity between the number of applicants and the number of accepted applicants among um, some of the racial and ethnic minorities. Um, for instance, uh, for Black and African American applicants, the, the applicant percentage, I believe, was 6.67, but for acceptance, the percentage was 3.69. So there's a, a slight disparity there between the number of applicants is, um, and the number of applicants that are accepted. So that's another area that we need to um, address. And then we've made forward movement and we've made forward progress, but we also recognize that there's a lot more work that needs to be done to reach this goal of an inclusive organization that reflects the diversity of society um, that the profession serves. So this data gives us information on the front end, so meaning application and acceptance numbers, but it doesn't give us the data on the back end, so graduation rates and licensure pass rates. So unfortunately, we don't have the data from CAPT and FSBPT that shows the breakdown of gradua graduation and licensure pass rates among racial and ethnic groups. However, we do know that there is a mean graduation rate of 96.4% and a median rate of 97.8% um, of all um, graduates from DPT programs. And for um, licensure pass rates, we know that there's a first-time pass rate of 91% and an ultimate pass rate of 99%. So in general, individuals who enter DPT programs um, graduate and pass the licensure exam. Um, so with all the goals and measures of success in place, um, these are the action items that APTA has initiated over the past three years. So um, APTA has hired staff to ensure a continued focus on student recruitment, raising awareness of the profession, and increasing diversity. Um, they've hired the director of student, director of student recruitment, um, Ryan Bannister, who has done an amazing job developing initiatives and moving this work forward. And they hired my position program manager for student pipeline initiatives. Um, they've also developed a multi-year strategic plan for student recruitment. Um, APTA has increased the presence of local or, or increased its presence at local, state and national events. Um, in 2017, we participated in three events. In 2019, we participated in 25 events with the focus on K through 16, counselors, advisors, parents, and influencers. Um, these, these efforts have also continued in the face of COVID-19, which you know, presents its own challenges, but um, APTA is still having a presence at national virtual recruitment events, still trying to get the word out about the profession of physical therapy. Um, we develop partnerships with programs such as HOSA, Future Health Professionals of America, um, which gives us a, a reach to um, 250,000 plus member organization of students from grades 7 through 16. And over 50% of those students come from underrepresented um, racial and ethnic backgrounds. We have partnered with the National Society for High School Honors, a group of over 400,000 students, grades 9 through 12. Um, and it, um, it touches their parents and educators. And that's a student population uh, that is about 60% underrepresented as well. 
We also have launched the Physical Therapy Moves Me campaign, which is APTA's new multi-year student recruitment campaign targeting K-16 students, teachers, guidance and career counselors, collegiate pre-health academic advisors, and the general public with the, goals, with the goal of raising awareness of the profession um, and increasing understanding of opportunities available to all students from all backgrounds. Um, we've launched the PT Moves Me Ambassador Program um, to increase involvement among DPT and PTA programs. So, so students and faculty to get involved in student recruitment opportunities um, on the local K through 12 school realm. And we'll also soon be uh, releasing a student recruitment toolkit that will provide materials for members to access, um, to go out into their respective communities and spread the word about physical therapy. Um, and one more thing APTA is working on is a series of holistic admissions webinars um, to help programs understand and implement holistic admissions review and admissions practices. So this is a focus because we know that programs are the gatekeepers to, to, to applicants, right? So we know that holistic and we also know that holistic admission practices really help with the increasing diversity. So um, with all that being said, um, we have the numbers. Um, APTA is on the front end of pushing out quite a few initiatives towards um, increasing awareness of the profession, as well as bringing in um, a more diverse applicant pool, as well as um, matriculating class into DPT programs. Uh, we know that this is a team effort and we need student and member engagement to reach this goal. Um, we also want to be there to be able to help and provide resources for for you all and your efforts towards um, the creation and implementation of pipeline programs. To get involved in APTA, please visit the APTA, APTA Engage website um, and select student recruitment or and diversity and inclusion as an area of interest. That way you can be alerted to various um, opportunities that are available and um, when available, please be sure to use the Student Recruitment Toolkit that will be coming to the website soon for your local events. And if you have any questions about anything or suggestions, or if there's any way that we can help you be successful in your pipeline programs, please feel free to contact myself or Ryan. Um, we know that pipelines help prepare applicants to be successful, and we know that representation matters. Um, we're here today with the listening ear, and we're so excited to learn more and to get into this pipeline discussion. So thank you so much. And Hadia, I will pass it back over to you. Thank you so much, Maya, for that cap of all that's going on at APTA in the way of pipelines. Without further ado, we are going to start to get to know our panelists this evening. The first panelist that I would like to introduce to you will be Dr. Cheryl Ford-Smith. Dr. Cheryl Ford-Smith joins us for, from Virginia Commonwealth University, and she has spent almost her entire career at uh, Virginia Commonwealth University in student recruitment in about the last 12 years in pipeline programs. Dr. Ford-Smith, please share with us some of that pathway to student recruitment to pipeline programs and give us some background as to what that pipeline program looks like at VCU. So um, I've been here quite a while 
as um, Hadia alluded to, and um, from probably the very first beginning of coming to this university, recruitment became um, kind of initially something that needed to be done, but later actually became a passion for me, something that I really wanted to do. Um, a lot of spinning wheels um, happened in the beginning, so I won't um, you know, use a lot of time with that. Um, but just to kind of talk about where the university was when I got here, um, most everything was was focused on recruiting physicians and dentists. And we had a longstanding um, health careers opportunity grant that, you know, was federally funded. Um, they were able to kind of put some of the allied health professions in that a little bit later on. But one thing became pretty apparent on our campus was that dentistry had launched a program that was very successful in getting underrepresented minorities. And I took notice of that and actually approached them for help and said, you know, I've done all of these things and I've just feel like I've been spinning my wheels. I haven't really changed anything in our applicant pool. I haven't really increased the awareness that I wanted to increase for our program. Can I, can I kind of take some lead from you? Um, one thing led to the other. It was just a matter of timing, um, the right time, the right people, the right place. And they said, you know, we've been paying a lot of attention to this too. We want to be more formal about our recruitment efforts. We actually have um, hired someone to head this up. We want you to meet with them. We want, you know, different disciplines now to come together and actually be a part of recruiting for all disciplines. So we actually took dentistry's model um, and the uh, Division of Health Sciences Diversity under our Vice Provost Office was formed. And that's where pipeline programs sort of began from their leadership. Um, we began an interdisciplinary approach where um, that very large pipeline program started with uh, inter interprofession with dentistry, medicine, pharmacy, and physical therapy. Um, but in the meantime, I also felt like there's a problem with awareness. Um, our kids were not knowing that physical therapy is a valid profession. It is a good profession. It's a profession they can grow in, and they just weren't aware of it. And so I also started a high school program, um, and out of that became, later on, we have an allied health program. And all of these now come under the Division of Health Sciences Diversity's array of pipeline programs. So any student that enters the pipeline from elementary school all the way through to post-baccalaureate, um, well, not at the post-baccalaureate le level, but before that, will now become pipeline alumni and have access to all the pipeline options as they march through. Um, one of the things that was brought up, well, you know, how do we keep track of these individuals? Well, I have to say I'm a little spoiled. Um, DHSD does track our students. We kind of do it as a partnership, as a joint effort, and make sure we keep them in the pipeline and let them know 
okay, you've entered one pipeline um, course. So now you are in a pipeline alumni, and that now gives you access to all the other pipelines that we have. And we want you to continue to be with us. Ultimately, we want them to enter into the physical therapy program here at VCU. And that is our goal. Um, but if a student can enter a PT program anywhere in this country, that is a win. And we've had a lot of those wins as things have um, progressed. So that's kind of the short version of the, of the journey and, um, and where we are now. Thank you so much, Dr. Ford Smith. I'm excited to talk to you more later. Our next panelist that I'll introduce is Kevin Hudson. Kevin Hudson is the Assistant Director for College Opportunity Office of the Provost. He works with the Vice Provost for Institutional Equity and Diversity to facilitate Princeton University trustees and President Eisenberg's commitment for Princeton to play a substantive role to expand socioeconomic diversity access and opportunity in higher education. Kevin, I'd love for you to just give us some of your background, including what you've done with high school programs all along the East Coast of the United States, as well as some of the work that you're doing at Princeton University today. Oh, Kevin, I think you're muted. Gotta love that. Um, hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to be with you this evening um, and talk with you a bit about the work that we're doing at Princeton and that I've had the opportunity to be engaged with over my career. Um, most of my work, as was mentioned, I once upon a time worked in Princeton admissions, um, but currently do not work in admissions, but I've spent several years working at a boarding school placement organization. and. Um, um, worked with students providing counseling and advising to them as they considered their college and career options. Um, and even though these students who were primarily from Newark, New Jersey um, and the surrounding communities and were low to moderate income um, students from a variety of ethnic backgrounds, but largely Black and Latino, attended these amazing schools, they often were not guided or, or not well matched or then have the connections necessarily with their advisors to pick colleges and universities that were the best match for them. And so my role at Princeton, um, as I've kind of navigated spaces from working in that space to moving to the District of Columbia public schools to work with students throughout the district and schools throughout the district um, to support college readiness in the district, to make sure there were things like um, SAT school day and PSAT available to all students and that there was ongoing counsel um, advising and training available to school counselors so that they knew how to support um, teachers to be able to access um, the variety um, or access, um, students to be able to access a variety of colleges and universities available to them. Um, I've transitioned now to Princeton and as you stated this broad work to think about how Princeton can support the work of districts um, so that they understand some of the pathways available to first-gen, low to moderate income students to attend selective schools. Some of you may be surprised, and I wish I had a slide to share with you, and I'm sorry I don't, that it's often 
more affordable to attend some of the most competitive schools in the country, schools like Princeton and um, Stanford and um, um, Davidson and um, Oberlin and um, might be a little bit off with that, but um, Pomona and the range of other schools because of need-based aid that oftentimes our students aren't aware of. Um, and so making sure that that information is getting out to students and families, as well as, as I reviewed some of the prerequisites of, uh, required for DPT and even to navigate the PT space, the requirement to be engaged in science courses and math courses, and how are students being advised and guided towards those courses and those majors as undergraduates? Um, do they see their only path to PT as a major in PT, which may or may not be matched with them being able to afford the college of their choice? Or can they see multiple pathways for themselves that leads them to be able um, to not only gain access to the college of their choice, but to graduate, which would be so important. And so I'm looking forward to, to talking um, with everyone um, during the course of this conversation, answering questions on ways that um, that student aspirations can be supported and that we're looking, I think uh, it's great to have students grounded in what are the academics required to ultimately be successful in this pathway of PT and how can we support that with the choices made by their schools and districts um, and even their major choices as they navigate the college space. I look forward to our conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. Kevin. Next, we have Dr. Maria Benedetto. Up. She joins us from Drexel University. Um, Dr. Benedetto has been an associate clinical professor in the Department of Physical Therapy for over 30 years. Her primary clinical experience is in pediatrics and dance. Dr. Benedetto, can you please share with us some of your experience with pipelines including what you've done with the physician programs, high school stu students, and what you're working towards at Drexel University in physical therapy. Thank you, yes. Good evening, everyone. I'm so very excited to be here. For the past 10 years, I've participated in the College of Physicians of Philadelphia Educational Pipeline Programs, and more specifically, the Junior Fellows Program. The College of Physicians in Philadelphia has several education initiatives that serve as pipelines for underserved Philadelphia high school youth under the directorship of Dr. Jackie Bowman. Out of the four programs, I'm going to talk to, to you about one. That is the, the, um, the college's junior fellows program. Um, I've been doing, I've been associated with them for 10 years and it is just a joy to, to interact with the, faculty and staff at the college, but mostly with the kiddos. Um, as stated on their website, the College Junior Fellows Program is a three-year program. Um, it happens after school and in the summer, and it's aimed at Philadelphia high school students from economically, economically underserved communities. Um, the program seeks to foster careers in healthcare and medicine, um, but specifically through hands-on learning with interactions with professionals. It also provides academic counseling and support to better prepare these, the students for college and their future careers. Um, students begin the program as rising sophomores. So it's the summer before they go into their sophomore year 
through high school graduation. One of the things that attracted me was the fact of the sustainability over the three years. So, of course, you know, when we, when we first started, the idea was to expose high school students to the physical therapy career paths. But um, as we got more involved, we, we, we realized that what was more important was the, st- the sustainability of the educational curriculum and campus interactive learning experiences over the three years. So we bring the students onto campus, um, create opportunities for ongoing mentorship, for all three years and beyond, and provide the students with role models via engagements from our alums from underrepresented minorities that are working in the clinic. So myself and colleagues and I at the department, um, in collaboration with the College of of Physicians, developed this curriculum that was case-based and drove the interactive sessions. We started with an overview of the case of the PT career, of course, but we rapidly went into anatomy lectures and labs with cadaver dissection. We had standardized patient labs where our, the, the high school students could interact with patient actors and take histories, emergency room um, scenarios, and then, of course, rehab scenarios that we bring to the PT labs. We had our DPT students and our alums um, interacting and guiding them through interactive activities. Um, they also got exposed to other healthcare careers, including nursing, PA, MD. We had a whole session with the college's um, different programs in mental health um, that occurred over three years. And then finally, we closed it off with um, having them come to our um, recreation center and being exposed and um, to um, professions, healthcare, uh, not healthcare, sorry, health, fit, health and fitness professions um, and um, wellness careers. And oh, we did finish up with a Drexel basketball game, Go Dragons. Um, so it was that three-year opportunity that we um, found to be helpful in engaging the students and better understanding of physical therapy, but also healthcare um, careers as a whole. Um, one of the, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things that we learned as we went is that we needed to Um, increase the presence of role models and increase the engagement of our alums from underrepresented minorities, which we are doing as we speak. And we created the opportunity for the students to engage in clinical externships at our faculty practices and research opportunities um, on campus with um, mentors. I just want to end by sharing with you some of the comments that that the director of the um, of this particular pro- program, Dr. Kevin and Pelissari shared with me. Um, we just did an online um, session. We actually did three sessions. Um, and Kevin told me that they had the students complete the evaluations for this year's virtual session. Um, and it included several of the students that rated the DPT sessions as some of their favorite activities. As one student put it, it was amazing. I think that Uh, We can look at some of the successes because of the interactive curriculum with immediate application of knowledge, sustained mentorship and exposure to uh, underrepresented minority physical therapists out in the clinic as role models. The outcomes for this particular program for the students, they have consistently graduated over 95 percent, sorry, over 95 percent of the college acceptance rate. Um, this past June, they, they were, of the 42 students who graduated the program, 
all are attending either a two or four year college, ex- and that except for one, and that one is at a trade school. Um, here is the problem: the majority intend on pursuing STEM and healthcare majors, which is great, but bio and nursing. And so we have um, for all the 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 wonderful interaction and work that we have done there. Are, we have one graduating from this year that plans on going to PT school. We do have a graduate who is working as a physical therapist and there are three other in the pipeline. So for me, early exposure is not enough. We lose these kids to uh, follow up. I'm excited to hear from the rest of the panel to see how I can help get them engaged. We do, I do want to say that at Drexel, we have some initiatives um, for other pipelines, including the Macy Scholars under the directorship of Dr. Roberta Waite, and with a colleague of mine, Dr. Sarah Wenger, we are um, in the process of creating a mentorship program called the First Gen Dragons to uh, identify and minimize academic and social barriers for our first generation graduate students that come into the DPT program. Um, I'm going to stop there and um, look forward to hearing from everyone, and thank you again. Thank you so much, Dr. Benedetto. So audience, please take this opportunity while we're meeting with our illustrious panelists to ask questions via the chat box. We will spend the 30 minutes following the panel discussion at seven with your questions live from the audience. Now, please allow me the pleasure of introducing Sonia Seymour. Sonia Seymour is the Director of Partnerships and Programs at Infamous, I should say famous, Nth Dimensions Educational Solutions. She currently serves as the Director of Partnerships and Programs. She is a key member in the Nth Dimensions Executive Team, overseeing the organization's daily operations and strategy and performance. Sonia, if you will, as I put up your slides, Give us your background and your relationship to pipelines and give us some tidbits on the famous program. And thank you. Thank you, everyone. And thank you for this wonderful opportunity. Hello, PTers. How are you guys doing? I am excited to be here with you. My name is Sonia Seymour, and I am with Nth Dimensions. And Nth Dimensions, I believe the slides will come up soon in a second. I don't see them yet, but I'll get started and share with you. Nth Dimensions is a mentorship program that was established in 2004 by a group of orthopedic surgeons that were dedicated and committed committed to diversifying the physician workforce. And so we began our field originally in orthopedic surgery. I believe that our slides are coming, so I'll give it just a second to show up. And so we began with orthopedic surgery, and we were founded by Dr. Bonnie Simpson Mason. And she was a board-trained orthopedic surgeon. And she, as a female, had experienced many of the challenges that so many of you have experienced, being told that she wasn't qualified, she wasn't strong enough, or women don't do that, or perhaps this isn't the career for her, or our people need primary care physicians and things like that. So with Dr. Mason, she got together and she started to work with the community to 
develop training and mentorship programs that we could create. And through that, Nth Dimensions has continued to do that for the past 15 years. We specialize in orthopedic surgery, dermatology, radiology, and physical therapy. With physical therapy and all of our medical specialties, we believe in early exposure as the key for all programs. I'll give it just a second for the slides. Is it everyone seeing them? No, the screen froze, so we are sending it to our tech. Oh, okay. That's extraordinary. Anyway, uh, I'll keep talking for everyone. Okay, so with Nth Dimensions, we have, uh, as I shared, that we have worked, been around since 2004 with orthopedics, dermatology, radiology, and physical therapy. We provide early exposure opportunities for students nationwide, specifically women and underrepresented minority students. We provide eight-week summer internships for them to work with physical therapists, and they shadow with them for eight weeks, giving early exposure, they have a research experience, and a project that is done at the end of the summer. And the goal of our program is to make all of our students the most competitive students they can be. One of the things that sets our program apart is that we're longitudinal. So we start with early exposure, and we follow students into their undergraduate career in the case of physical therapy, as well as into their DPT program. So we'll follow and work with you to help you develop not only the skills that are required to get into a PT program, but as many have already pointed out, the skills that are needed to stay in that program. And so we do that by having a team. Ah, thank you, everyone. So we do that by having a team of physicians, a team of physical therapists, and a team of mentors that will be strategic mentors with you, developing a strategic program for you to succeed. And so this is just a sample of what we've done for a residency, and it is reflective of our PT numbers as well. So we had a 100% match rate, not only this year, but across all specialties for everyone that was graduating from our Nth Dimensions programs. So 23, uh, 23 students entered and 23 successfully matched. The national match rate is 73%. And so you can see that that's a big difference. This 100% has only improved greatly by our, our other year to date. So 90% in 2019 and 92% in 2018. Next slide. One of the great things about our program is that the, we're results driven. And so the results of our program are successful matches. Next slide. These are four students that are fellow tra fellowship trained and now are active. As I said, we started in 2005. So since 2005, we have over 40 in orthopedic surgery, and we have over 50 in other specialties as well. And so one of the great things many people ask, well, why physical therapy? For us, the answer is not why, but really why not? And physical therapy is a natural fit for orthopedics, and they work together well. We know that not everyone wants to be a physician, and certainly not everyone should be a physician. You should do what you have a passion and a love to do. And so for us, it's about helping all students succeed and all students to grow. And so in physical therapy, we partner with national physical, therapy, physical therapists throughout the nation for our students to have mentorship opportunities. Next slide. Once completed... They are now fellowship trained. They will be DPT certified and have all of their official credentials from the APTA that would recommend those. Those are just a few of our physicians. Next slide. 
And these are our partner organizations. Many of the places where we would place not only physical therapy, but our other students as well. And so this is just a few examples of the programs that we've partnered with before. And our next slide. And so, as I said, we're 501c3. I am available to answer any questions during our talk. I'm really looking forward to the discussion and hoping to help bridge the gap for many of the students that are on this call today. So thank you for your time, everyone. Looking forward to getting to know you. So much, Sonia. It's great to hear from all of our panelists. As you can see, there is a wealth of information on this panel. So let's get to chatting. I'm going to direct the next question to Dr. Ford Smith and Kevin Hudson. What do you think um, schools can do, and both on the elementary, high school, and collegiate level, um, to address the underrepresentation of minoritized groups of students, and what would you say are some of the barriers or what's missing in some of these pipelines that assures that they stay in the pipeline? <laughs> Did you want to go first, Kevin, or you want me to go? Why don't we start with you, Dr. Ford Smith? Okay. Um, <laughs> I think I'll start with the second question first. Um, one of the, the things that um, I have found to be really successful as far as first keeping them in the pipeline is staying with them, um, having multiple touch points with those individuals, um, not only while they're in the program, but after they leave the program. And that's one of the advantages we have by being partnered with our um, health sciences diversity um, office. Um, it's a way for us to track them. Um, yearly, we have a networking um, event for all alumni so that people can come together. So they're constantly being offered resources or offered opportunities to come back together as a group and they can network. I make sure I try to touch base with them periodically so you have to have touch points. That That is just really important. It can't be a once and done. They have to believe that they're part of something larger than just their, um, for example, with our, with our high school program, it's two weeks. Um, they come on campus. They're there um, from eight to four. Um, it has to be more than just that two weeks. They have to know that, you know, they can access us at any time, and a lot of times they do. Um, a number of those high school students go on to be undergrads at on the VCU academic campus, and so we just have these multiple touch points, and then encouraging them, telling them about the next step, even when they're in the, the pipeline program that they're in, and encouraging them to, okay, now take the next step, go into the next pipeline, apply for that one, just keep moving, and encouraging them and just finding out as we go along, what kind of barriers are you experiencing? Are you able to take more rigorous high school courses? Are you able to get the courses that you're looking for in college? Um, our high school program looks at those 
students that are juniors in high school, seniors in high school, and even uh, students that have graduated so that they are definitely ripe for knowing exactly what they need to take when they go to college. Um, I think your your first question was related to, um, remind me, Hadia? What schools can do. Oh, what schools can do. So what we try to do and... Um, initially, when I started on this journey, I actually did all of this footwork myself, and that was to create relationships with high school counselors um, and then subsequently with college counselors. Fortunately, um, we have a group where we're all, um, you know, it's a, it's a team effort that is way more efficient in doing this now. But getting to know these uh, high school counselors and asking them to target students that have voice to them, particularly from underrepresented backgrounds, I'm interested in health profession. Who can I talk to? Well, here's someone you can talk to. I, you can talk to us. You can, you know, uh, call me. You can call our office. Um, but getting them to start to sort of, you know, let them know that there are opportunities in the community that they can actually access and we can start to answer those questions. Um, it's not foolproof. Sometimes you get a really good connection and then you lose them. Um, but it's better than not talking to the high schools at all or not talking to counselors. Or um, we also talk to other community organizations um, and let them know. Like we've partnered with some of the um, organizations that some of the Greek uh, organizations are working with and letting them know, okay, can you tell your high school students about these programs and get them to talk to us? Yeah, um, I would just continue that uh, along those lines. I agree and want to reiterate the importance of continuing to work with students, not only for some one-time presentation, but as a pipeline program. And what I found in my own work, that there was a need to continue to work with students through college and sometimes through grad school. Because what you're continuing is, um, is this transference of social capital that students who come from wealthier backgrounds or have other experiences um, are getting other types of support that get them through each stage. The other thing is as a pipeline program, ensuring that students are well matched with programs where they graduate, right? Schools that graduate students support students. And, um, and, and there needs to be um, um, guidance and support provided to students also, and that, that are going to support them, and, and particularly people who look like them um, are important. Um, additionally, in terms of the relationships with high schools, um, we know that um, engagement with rigorous courses is it's pretty important in preparing students for preparation for um, for their PT track, um, ultimately, um, or whatever major they may choose um, as an undergrad, um, they will be taking chemistry and physics, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, do they have the opportunity or they offer the opportunity in high school to take AP and IB? Are they guided there? Are there high expectations of those students? Um, and matching students um, to some of the programs that may provide that. We work with a great program here at Princeton University called the Du Bois Scholars Institute, uh, which takes African-American students 
largely um, as ninth graders and 10th graders and holds them to very high standards being taught by professors and faculty um, to learn about research and healthcare careers. Um, but to be exposed to um, disciplines where they have to challenge themselves and, and really see themselves in those spaces. And to go back to their schools and say, offer me that opportunity to take the advanced placement class or the IB class or the college course that's going to prepare me for college and how important that is. So I'll stop there. Thank you so much, Kevin and Dr. Ford Smith. So we have about 12 minutes left and I'd like each of the next two speakers to take about five minutes each. The first question will be directed towards Dr. Maria Berendetto. And I'd like you to share some of your thoughts on what are some of the things that you noticed worked really well with respect to the physician pipelines that you're involved with and what we, what were things you were able to replicate in or would suggest replicating in the physical therapy pipeline arena and what do you think is really different that needs to be focused on? Sure thing. Um, so some of the aspects that worked really well at the College of Physician First, I just need to clarify that the pipeline lives in and is housed in the College of Physician. And there's a whole series of supports, academic supports, uh, SAT prep, et cetera, that goes on. What I shared with you guys is what we do on campus around health professions and physical therapy. And I think that the integrative curriculum that's sustained across the three years that it builds on each other so year to year to year, so that students can grow and learn around science and around physical therapy, the fact that it's um, case-based with the, the, the experiences that, that back it up is very helpful. I would agree with what Kevin was just saying. For example, the, the opportunities to be held to high standards, the opportunities to engage in research, to have externships, and also the fact that it's not just a one and done. You don't go in and do a lecture and come out. It, this is three years of sustainability. So I believe that th that's really important in the high school years as they move forward along with the academic support. Um, I think for us, what has been difficult is that we have them. I have some students I'm still mentoring and they're in college, but it's a personal level. It's not a pipeline. It's not a con continuity that I'm hearing from some of my other colleagues. And I think that for the profession, it's really important that we have institutional support um, on the levels that we see at Virginia Tech and Commonwealth, sorry, and Princeton. So I think universities need to get more involved, be more committed, and have dedicated staff and faculty that will move forward some of the mentorship and the, the identified needs of our um, groups of underrepresented minorities to increase minority um, um, pres uh, uh, presence within the field of physical therapy and within the school, uh, within the different programs. And so, yeah, I think that it, universities have to recognize this as a priority and put teeth into the priority so that it can be sustainable. Um, our programs, thanks to the volunteerism of our faculty, continue to exist. 
the College of Physicians in and of itself know they have fundings and resources, et cetera. But I think it has to go further, and I'll stop there. Thank you so much. Thank you. So, Sonia Seymour, I really would love to hear from you about the rigor needed for sustaining and running these pipelines. And in your response, can you share with us like the staff that it takes to run these pipelines and more and not more importantly, but with the thought in mind that we really need to support these students while they're in these pipelines and how do you do that successfully? Well, thank you. That is a great question. And I would first start by saying that many of us uh, are doing it because of the love and because of the passion for us. Uh, rigor certainly is needed. I think faith is needed even more so um, for all of us. We know that so many of our programs, as Dr. Benedetto was alluding to, are not properly funded and are not perhaps as recognized from a top-down level in many institutions. And so that can be a challenge. So many of our organizations are operating with a very small team, sometimes only one or two people that are doing the heavy lifting for such a large organization. What's needed, again, is that recognition from institutions. And I would go a step further and say our industry partners, too, um, and I believe that some of the other panel alluded to working and, men, and working with the Greek lettered organizations within our community. It can be a whole community approach as well. And so I think that will make a big difference in, um, in helping us get the work done. What we do uh, for us as Nth Dimensions is that we do seek out that partnership with other institutions. Uh, and we do seek it out from professionals that are already in the game. There are physical therapists that have achieved success, and they certainly want to see and have a passion for the, the industry that they're in and this career that they love so much. So many of them volunteer their time, and they give their talent as well as their treasure to help us continue the work. And I think that's what many of us are facing so if you ask for a team, I would say for us, it's a small team, but a mighty team. And so it's about five or 10 of us that work on a day-to-day -day basis. And we use a national network of volunteer faculty that help us get the work done each and every day. What's needed to be more impactful is that sustained giving and that ongoing support from institutions at a top level. Thank you so much. So Maya, before we go into our question and answer session live with the audience, could you share with us some of your thoughts about what is some, what are some of the major or is the major difference between working on a pipeline system from a university like Duke University level and on this national level at the association level? I think you're still muted. Sorry, you think we had that all figured out by now, as long as we've been doing these calls. But um, it's a great question, Hadia. Um, I think that there are a lot of similarities and definitely a lot of differences. Um, I think the differences lie in um, the methods used to, to accomplish the goals. I think the goals themselves are very much the same, right? So we want to provide opportunities, um, provide information and education, um, for students who or prospective students who are interested in the profession of physical therapy 
and provide pathways for them to successfully achieve those goals. So um, on both levels, uh, the goal is very much the same. But I will say from a programmatic perspective, um, you know, it, it took a lot more um, there, it took a lot more um, opportunity, had to find opportunities to get buy-in, right? So, you know, you talk about presenting uh, pipeline programs. I guess one method of advice I would say is that if you, at first you don't succeed, try and try again, right? So, you know, opportunity and timing is everything. So uh, on the programmatic level, I had to um, partner with a lot of my um, colleagues, not necessarily within the DPT realm initially. So um, like um, Dr. Ford Smith mentioned, you know, spoke with those that were in the PA that had had successful programs or the PA profession, spoke with those in nursing that had successful programs, spoke with those in the, med uh, the medical profession who had successful programs and partnered with them initially until we were able to get our feet up under us and create our own program. Um, and from that perspective, you know, it's really hard. I find it anyway, really hard to try to create a lot of programming with other major health professions like nursing and, and dentistry and medicine because they're already so well known. Right. Part of our goal for our pipeline program was to increase the awareness of physical therapy and really let people know how amazing this profession is and what all the opportunities that are available within this profession um, provide, you know, information on how they can be successful in matriculating, et cetera. And um, it can be kind of hard when you're paired with bigger professions um, to kind of not be overshadowed a little bit. So um, having the opportunity to have that individual program um, at, the D, uh, at the DPT level did help us to achieve that goal. Um, from a national perspective, um, I've been with APTA for about a year, a little more than a year and a half now, so I'm definitely still learning. Um, but they, it is a little bit of a different beast, but like I say, it's the exact same goal. So, um, I think one great thing is that the people that I work with definitely understand the perspectives of creating these pipeline programs and the need for these programs. So, um, working directly with like-minded individuals definitely helps to, um, push the, push the ball forward. Um, within APTA, there's so many moving parts, right? So, um, it's a little bit bigger of an organization, but the concept and the knowing that there is a direct perspective, there's a direct lens on it, um, on developing pipeline programs, increasing recruitment, increasing awareness of the profession um, is has been great. So um, I think there are a lot of similarities, especially in the ultimate goal from a programmatic perspective to a national level. Um, but the methods at achieving that goal is the biggest difference between the two. Um, between, yeah, between the two. Thank you so much. So this has already been a ton of information from all of you, their panelists, and we are going to use this time to transition into our 30 minutes of live Q&A. Before we do that, I want to leave you with a quote that I learned of today from Frederick Douglass that I think is really speaks to the rigor and the effort and the funding and the complexity of pipelines and what needs to go into them for them to be successful, but not for the success of the pipelines, but the success of the actual student and mentee in them. And that is, if there is no struggle, 
there is no progress. For those who profess to favor freedom and yet depreciate agitation are men who want crops without plowing up the ground. They want without thunder and light, lightning. They want the ocean without the awful roar of its many waters. So without further ado, we're going to go into our questions. And I'm going to start with Daniel Duell's question, which was, how might academic capitalism pose a challenge to diversifying the student, physical therapist, student body, and can you speak to the importance of diversifying the faculty body in order to create an inclusive space in higher education? I may be unable to stay for the responses, but he says he'll listen tomorrow. So maybe Dr. Ford Smith and or um, Dr. Benedetto, you can respond to that. Mari, you can go ahead first. Um, so to, I'd like to start with the second question first, and I want to emphasize that I think that diversity in the faculty is the number one problem that we face in the academic institutions, and that how that is tied to an, an educational system that is, um, driven by a business model, um, by academic capitalism, um, oftentimes does not put as priority what we were just talking about and put teeth into the need for increasing recruitment and retention of faculty um, from underrepresented groups. My own personal opinion is that I think those of us on faculty with white privilege need to be able to extend and include and mentor our alum and others that are on that pathway and bring them in on purpose, whether it's through labs, through lectures, uh, uh, creating pipelines, if you wish, for those faculty to come in because students of diverse backgrounds need to every once in a while hear, oye, vaya, estás bien, and that's okay. So that being said, I think that we have to address it. I think those of us that are in the academic realm have the responsibility to create those pipelines and begin to change it. And that's on the institutional level. I'm hoping, you know, that on larger levels, the APTA, et cetera, we see other um, ways of um, creating those priorities and bringing in our um, colleagues um, into the academic fold. Um, since my whole academic career has been as a clinical specialist and not the research um, track. I also think that we need to foster our alums to become clinical specialists, to consider advanced degrees, whether it's a PhD research degree or whether it's a, a clinical advanced degree, so that, again, we can uh, mentor them and bring them into the fold of the university. And I can't agree more that it's time to diversify our faculty. Dr. Ford-Smith? Dr. Ford Smith, as you answer, I also want to add Deirdre D's um, question to your response, if you could address this as well, which is in regards to the pipeline programs that collaborate with other health professions like med medicine or dentists. Um, is there or are there any concern that these, with these partnerships, student participants may choose these other more popular mainstream professions such as medicine, dentistry, 
et cetera, instead of physical therapy. Okay. Um, I totally agree with Maria. Um, and what I'm seeing is kind of what you alluded to earlier is that we kind of need a pipeline for faculty. We need to start to encourage our, our students and our alumni the same way we're encouraging them and preparing them to get into DPT programs, we now need to encourage them and prepare them to go for advanced degrees, to go for specialty certification, to go for research degrees. We still need to do, we, we can't stop. And that's what I'm seeing. I think a lot of our students come into the program and say, I'm in the program, I'm, go- I'm getting my DPT, I have arrived. And we haven't done a very good job of saying, no, no, there's more. You can do more. You can go further. And here's some things you can do to do that. And I know for myself, I'm really trying to start doing a better job at saying, here's some other options. Go for it. We really need you to keep moving. Because other than that, we we won't have enough at the, you know, as we get to these other areas. Um, to address the other question, so when we, I'm going to kind of, we're involved in about five pipeline programs starting from high school to freshman year of college to uh, sophomore year of college to junior, senior, and post-baccalaureate. And I'm going to talk about the post-bac, the junior, senior, post-baccalaureate program and that is our program that is interprofessional. And we have not, and, and those students apply to our program in the specific track that they are actually interested in applying to. So they are actively seeking admission to those particular programs. So they're kind of already committed to the areas that they have come in for. Um, When it comes to uh, PT, so we haven't had anyone leave PT and go to any of those other professions. But what has happened, there is a steering committee of us from all of the disciplines that work together because our goal is kind of what Maya alluded to, is to bring in underrepresented minorities into our profession. So that is our goal. So we're working as a team to do that. And you would be surprised how other people from who are part of this whole team actually counsel students in other areas to keep them engaged in their own areas, but they get exposure to all of us. And what I've seen is the positive is suddenly they realize that PTs do things they didn't know PTs did. Yeah. And other people realize how we work together. So Prior to coming into a program like ours, they just didn't know how we even meshed together. I think Sonia talked about, you know, the the joining of an orthopedic surgeon with PT. Well, now PTs are seeing how how do we mesh together with dentistry? How do we mesh together with pharmacy? How do we, you know, this year, because we were virtual, we did something a little different. And as part of their public speaking um, projects, they had to actually portray themselves as one of the other disciplines that they didn't come in for. And so they had to use their colleagues to kind of help them know 
Is this the right thing? Is this what this drug really is supposed to do? Okay, pharmacy person, you help me with that. And then they had to do some research on their own. And it turned out phenomenally. I think we may end up having a switch in how we do our program, how we do our projects. But yeah, um, so we have not had anyone go to those other professions. What we have had is why is it that we don't see more of this kind of collaboration in our hospital and clinic experiences? And that's the question I get. Thank you both so much. The next question is I'm going to piggyback off of that representation um, of other professions with Sonia and Kevin. So in addition to thinking about the quote-unquote competition of the professions in light of interdisciplinary pipelines, um, Aaron Emery asked, the development of meaningful and successful pipelines can often seem daunting and unclear. Their development, sustainability, and coordination across entities from their inception is difficult. So it is also frustrating, he notes, when entities say that they have pipeline programs, but they are completely void of structure, metrics, etc. So he states that pipelines are only in quotes because of the blatant misuse of the term, but can you speak to how we can support and rally around coordinated efforts related to pipelines? Sonia, go for it. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Kevin. Uh, I think that he is absolutely on track that at times pipelines can be the wrong word uh, that we're using because what we're all talking about today and what we know to be true and what needs to happen is allies and advocacy. And so that we need to create allies and that's what we need to teach. Kevin was talking earlier about leadership and opportunities that we're, we give to them younger, to younger students. But we also need, and this is one of the things that we do, helping them to understand and identify what an ally is and what that person can do for you. How do I identify an advocate and how do I have them on my team to help support and mentor me into those next levels? So pipelines, they're absolutely on track. When we speak to programs, even for us, with the success that we've had, that's often the question and response that we get. Oh, we can do this. We don't need you. And the difference is, is that they need that committed person. They need that institution that will take it a step further, contact students, follow up, and do all of those things that we know to be important and those things that we know to be successful. Um, and, and I think everyone is well-intentioned. They just don't have, as Dr. Benedetto was saying, uh, teeth in the game, skin in the game. Um, unfortunately, we're all stretched in many different areas, but leave it to the professionals uh, to do that work and support the students. So if I would have a choice, I would want us to reframe the thought process for pipeline and come up with a different term that's more uh, inclusive and more respective of what we all do each day. Yes, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, the only thing I will add, um, and I, I appreciate Aaron's question, um, is that this notion, I think the common theme was the importance of exposure and yeah. how important exposure is to, um, seeing what the field does and, uh, um, and, and, and what possibilities might exist. But I think as oftentimes as one is thinking about supporting students in that process, 
they may look to mentorship as a way of doing it, which is fine. Um, but I think to their point, there is something to thinking about if you're putting together a structure, a system, a program, how are you using metrics to determine right. um, what the model practices are to continue to support students um, and to partner and to use allies? And so um, I think as those out there who are listening, who may be able to use their own resources to develop programs, think about how you can partner with an institution, um, how you can um, use a grant, how you can um, use data and metrics to understand the impact of the work that you're doing and how you can partner. Um, when I originally heard that question around, um, you know, working with the other health professions, um, it, 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 I was like, well, well, I mean, at the end of the day, this is about the student. While it is about the student getting into a becoming a, a physical therapist and a doctor of physical therapist, possibly a faculty member, it's about them being their best selves in an area that matters to them. And so the more that we expose them to opportunities and embrace them as we might our own child, right, our own people in our own family to make sure that they're being exposed to a career pathway and they're not just a number, but they're being exposed to something that could be a great fit for them, then whether they choose a PT or something else, it's about what's going to be a best fit for them so that they leave that being able to recruit others because they love it and care about it. And I think as we, as, as one is developing programs, um, the partnership and thinking about the development of that child first and foremost, and that person or that human being or that adult, um, is going to lead to, um, um, to ongoing success um, in the effort to increase participation in the field. And that's what, if we're using the pipeline term, that's what helps sustain it. And so changing yeah. it from pipeline, that's what helps us all build a legacy. So that's yeah. where we get the legacy is by having the people that are committed to what they do. We have that same philosophy as well. It's not how to be a great physician. It's how to be great. It's, you know, not how mm -hmm. to be a great you know, anything, but we want you to succeed and to maintain. And I think that's what all of us are saying on this call. Um, yeah. Get in there and we're willing there. Get in there and there are people that are there willing to help you and help you go along the way. And if you don't know that we're all here to help you, well, how do I find an ally? What is an ally? Um, how can I get an advocate and what should my advocate look like? I'll say this, that a lot of times for students of color, when we talk about both of those allies and advocates, that we're often thinking that it has to be a, a person of color or someone that looks like me or someone from my same ethnic or, or racial background or gender background. But I'd like to say that that is not the case. Your ally and your advocate can come from any community as long as they're willing to support you and help you meet your goals and your needs and willing to help you find your best self, as Kevin was alluding to, and what will help you to be successful. Thank you both. I'd like to ask all of the panelists to share with us one or two metrics that your programs or programs you're involved with actually measure. Let's start with you, Maya, followed by Dr. Benedetto. Here we go again. Um, so 
Um, from APCA perspective, um, so kind of on a national scale, uh, we're me we're measuring quite a few things, right? So the metrics that we're measuring from our programs, right? And I will say that not all the programs that are coming out of APTA should specifically be termed pipeline programs. They are hopefully programs that'll help um, institutions, so program students achieve these goals. So one of our main metric areas, which I think is what you asked, Hadia, is number one, looking at application numbers. Right. So who's applying to the to the profession? How many how many people are interested enough to actually go into PPCAS and submit an application? Um, and of those who are submitting an application, how many are being successfully um, accepted into a program and matriculating? Right. So those general applicant numbers um, from our PT from our centralized application system is one way that we're we're measuring um, um, success. Um, another way is through our other individual programs that uh, we're trying to create. So the ambassador program um, that's going to be starting up here soon, looking at that, what information are we providing to faculty and staff to be able to successfully go out and create pipeline programs or volunteer opportunities or whatever that may be. So on the back end of that, how many programs um, were created or how many uh, faculty and staff went out into their community to tell people about the profession of physical therapy to, to help educate them on what physical therapists do and, you know, what options and opportunities are available to them um, within this profession. So with um, the providing of that material and that information, what were, what were programs actually able to do with it, right? So how many programs were created? How many opportunities were created? Um, so from a national level, like th those are our measures of, of success um, on the programs or development of pipelines that we are um, creating. Thank you. So in 30 seconds or less, so the next four of you, you good. Um, tell me, Dr. Benedetto, some of your one or two metrics that you yeah. take, and then we'll go to Dr. Cheryl Ford. I just want to um, shout out to Sonia and Kevin about the passion for the for youth to be the best that they can be. And with that said, on the college looks at percent graduation rates, um, sorry, acceptance rates into two and four year colleges, graduation graduation rates into two and four year colleges, and I'm I'm tracking PT as well. Um, and that's our metrics. We're going to look at um, alumni involvement and faculty as well. It's part of pulling in our alumni of underrepresented minorities into the fold and bringing them back and having them part of our community. Thank you, Dr. Sheriff Ford, followed um, by Sonia. Um, we look at, um, from the high school level, how many actually move on to college in undergrad and their majors, if they're doing, you know, following the path of health sciences, um, we then track them to see if they actually complete an application to one of the health professional programs. Of course, DHSD does that. We are specifically looking at do they complete an application to physical therapy programs, specifically ours, to be perfectly honest, um, and how many of those actually will apply and then from there, how many are matriculating into physical therapy programs? And then we also track how many actually graduate. Um, we are not always privy to whether they complete the licensure or not. But I can say right now for all of the students that we have data on, 
100% of our pipeline students have um, completed their doctorate of physical therapy program. Um, every one of them that we have, you know, that have come back and gave us their data, they have completed their programs. And hopefully I can only assume that they have passed their licensure. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Sonia, your 30 seconds followed by Absolutely. 30 seconds. Um, The same metrics that many of you have mentioned, um, their successful application and matriculation into programs. What we do know is that for us, early exposure is key. So we know that if someone just even attends our programs, a woman is 15 times more likely to apply for her specialty. Underrepresented student is 45 times more likely to apply for their specialty based on just their early exposure. We'll follow them throughout and track not only their application process, I mentioned 100% this year, and then following on to their successful board completion for physicians and licensure for DPT students that we're following. And we have, uh, I'm happy to say, in our pipeline, we've only been doing physical therapy for a short time, and we're bringing our numbers up. So happy to know that we have a lot of them and looking forward to growing even more. So hit me up. You want to join? You got it. Kevin. Yeah, so my office doesn't have a particular program itself, but as we work with programs um, and support the work that they're doing in districts, where we're, uh, this is often on the K-12 side and college side, um, is encouraging them to track, as was already mentioned, um, graduation rates from college, mm-hmm. um, matriculation rates. Um, one, one metric that um, needs to be tracked earlier um, is what percentage of their African-American and first-gen low-income students, we shouldn't conflate the two of them, and often we do, um, um, are actually enrolled in AP and IB classes and rigorous coursework um, that will allow them to take the type of science prerequisites or be prepared for them in college, um, as well as math. So um, those are things that we're encouraging K-12 to be conscious of in terms of the disparities that exist, because that's what impacts ultimately uh, students, um, African-American students, as well as low to, mod- low to uh, moderate income students being able to access um, um, health professions later. Thank you. Shamari asked earlier in the conversation, as a second time applicant to DPT programs, um, five years of post undergraduate school, are there similar mentorship opportunities that any of you know of? Maybe one of you can speak to that. Um, I know for our program, you can apply as a post-baccalaureate. Um, we have had older participants, actually. Um, one of the things that some, uh, you know, holds some people back is that they've been out of school for a few years and they're concerned about actually, can I handle this? Um, our program is geared to give you a six-week um, experience of what professional school is like. So they can come into our program and see, is this something I can handle? Can I handle classes from eight to five, three days a week, and from eight to six or seven, two days a week? Um, Can I take these rigorous graduate courses? Our our participants take three rigorous graduate courses taught by our graduate faculty. So these are not people that are, these are people, this is what they do. Um, So they're getting exposure to actually what they do. And then in each discipline, such as my faculty, um, they all participate 
at some level, they give them an introduction to the kinds of classes they teach. So yeah, our program is, you can come in after you've you know, graduated from college. Absolutely. And, that, and that's at VCU? At VCU, yes. Um, another question we had, and maybe Maya, you could speak to this one. As a member of an admissions committee at Midwest University, I'm wondering if PTCAS has any plans to include whether a candidate has gone through a pipeline. I'm not aware of any pipelines near me. Uh, hi, uh, yeah, uh, so from a PTCAS perspective, um, the thing is, is that there's so there are different programs across the country, pipeline programs, um, and they develop on you know various levels and at different times. So it is hard to keep track of what's what and what's where. But from a PTCAS perspective, if that's something that you are interested in tracking um, and using in your admissions process, then there are methods and ways that you can add that particular question into your PTCAS application to ask applicants specifically if they have participated in any type of pipeline program. So applicants will be able to enter that information themselves and tell you the specific program. So number one, that'll give you the knowledge of if the applicant has participated. And then number two, it'll also help you develop a database of the programs that are out there. Um, so as far as uh, PTGAS putting a specific question in and listing all the available pipeline programs, that would be pretty tough. Um, but there is a way for you to incorporate that. And if you have any questions, you can always email uh, email me and ask me those. Um, one other question to the group. Can an applicant call a school? Seems like an opportunity for a conversation with different admission officers if they have a question and they may be scared to do it. Yes, Sonia. As someone who worked uh, at a university and was received those calls often, I would caution them before sending off the question to not call the university directly. I would, my suggestion would be to find that ally and the mentor first to kind of run that question by and phrase perhaps a student that's already in that program, looking at a support group online, um, if there's a community that they can follow up with, and also first asking their mentor first the question to make sure that it's an appropriate question. Oftentimes they'll call the programs without having done that legwork beforehand. And some um, of us are open-minded and understand that students are calling and just would like to know. But I know that often some of our counterparts are not as open-minded and they may be tracking. I hate to say it, but sometimes people do track and, and keep a list of those students, um, you know, that, that didn't ask the question or present themselves in the best professional life at all times. And so I would caution them at first. That's my own opinion. Um, I'm sure many of the others have other thoughts. So we have about three more minutes and uh, Dr. Forrest-Smith on to give you an opportunity to contribute to this. And then we're going to go around and give some of our final thoughts. Okay. Um, uh, two things. So for the admissions piece, we actually have a supplemental form that is attached um, with our application where people can check to see if they have been if they have been part of a pipeline program so they can actually give us that information but as part of our pipeline program um, we also give every participant a evaluation at the end 
And it's set up in such a way that part of that evaluation, they are welcome to upload it to their application and use it as, you know, and in since we do holistic admission, we really like seeing that. So we kind of thought about that for ourselves, but we recognize now that it has helped applicants in other, as they apply to other programs. Um, the other thing I know for our program, we encourage people to call us and we will talk to them. Um, I talk to a number of students. I We also encourage them to email us. Um, in the climate that we are presently in, I think it is in the best interest of any program to give time and um, consideration to an underrepresented minority who is calling for information. Um, what we find is that sometimes these students are misled and they really do need to hear from us specifically um, as admissions officers and not be led down the path. Um, and I will say, because I encounter so many underrepresented um, students who are interested or, or applying to PT school, how many times they've come to me and say, do you think I can call them and ask them about my application? Do you think I can? And I'm like, I'm going to be, this is my personal opinion. If you're an admissions person and you don't want to talk to that student, I think they shouldn't consider your program. Honestly, I mean, we're in a climate where we're trying to increase diversity and students are searching. They need help. They want mentorship. Why are we not giving them that? Um, and if they're presenting themselves inappropriately the first time, I think that's an opportunity for you to do some coaching and say, I appreciate you looking into my program. And I tell students this, too. I said, you know, don't just ask for a recommendation or reference. Ask the person do they feel comfortable giving you a positive reference? And then if they don't, if they say no, because I will say no, ask them why. Say, can you give me some places where I can grow? And so that's really important to me. And I tell students, so if they approach me inappropriately, even with all the, the students I talk to around here, and I'll say, now, you know, that might not have been the best way to ask that question, but I understand where you're coming from. So let me give you a little coaching on when you call that program, do it this way. Mm. And so, you know, take the, take the teachable moment. I, I take the teachable moment. I agree that's with you. I think so many of us do that on this call, but how do we get our other colleagues that are there and they're answering the phone and they don't do that? Yeah. Like that, I think, is the struggle and the challenge that, that many of our students face. They don't get the six of us on the phone. They're getting someone else. And when they're responding, they're not received in that same loving way that all of us would do. So, so I, unfortunately, think that, I think that's a place that um, institutions can start. We talked yeah. about that earlier. So there's yeah. a place for institutions to start right there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Unfortunately, we're at the end of our time. So thank you both, um, Dr. Ford Smith and Sonia. I want to give uh, the other three uh, 15 seconds for a quick takeaway, and then we'll wrap it up. So I'll start with you, Dr. Benedetto, followed by Maya and then Kevin. Sustainability, interactive curriculum, passion, and follow-up. Ciao, everybody. Thank you so very much. This has been awesome. Maya. Uh, ditto. Um, and I'd like to go back to the comment about, you know, just bringing our genuine selves, because when we're creating these programs, um, uh, like um, 
Kevin and Sonia mentioned, you know, people can feel the genuine spirit and whether you want them there or you don't. So um, at minimum, start there. And thanks for having thanks for having me. Kevin, final word. Yeah, I would just say continued exposure of students, um, belief in their ability and encouragement for them and holding them accountable um, for to high standards. Yeah. You all were absolutely fantastic. Um, on behalf of myself and the American Physical Therapy Association, I want to honor you and say thank you for your continued and ongoing contributions to the profession, not just the physical therapy, but to the health profession and to the well-being of these youth and adults coming up in our world. So thank you. And I hope everyone has a great evening and stay well. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you, everybody. APTA podcasts like this one are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening.